Well, it's good to see everybody out this morning. I see that we have several visitors, and we're thankful that you've taken time to be out with us today. And we pray that everything that we do is in strict harmony with God's will, pleasing in His sight and uplifting and encouraging to everyone that is present. I know that there are some churches that have a special service on this day. Some have a sunrise service. Some do other special things. Well, we turned off the heat, so that's what we did. <laughs> Not intentionally, but the uh, heater went out this morning. It was on yesterday when I was here, but uh, it was not on this morning when I came in. And so, uh, uh, glad to see you're still here. So, as I told them in Bible class, you're in trouble. Because now I preach good when it's cold. <laughs> All right. If you had a time machine and you could go back in time, where would you go? What event would you go back to witness? I'm sure that there are some people that would go back and visit with a distant relative. There are some that would go back to some historical moment in time, maybe in the founding of our country, that they would go back and and witness some of those things. And I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, where would I want to go? And I think that I would really want to go and witness... What happened to Jesus when He was betrayed all the way up until the time that He came forth out of that tomb? I watched uh, a couple of shows yesterday that tried to uh, depict how Jesus was represented as He was being punished, while He's being beaten with a whip, and then He was hung on a cross. And I listened to the actors as they tried to say the things that Jesus said from the cross. And I thought about when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I wondered, did those actors truly portray portray what Jesus, how he felt, and what he was truly experiencing at that moment? I'm not sure any of us could experience that. I'm not sure that we could even relate to how it must have felt when He said those words, bearing the sins of the world. What a tremendous price that was paid so that you and I could have the forgiveness of sin. Every Gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, records the events of the cross, and we find different perspectives from each one, different things that Jesus said so that we get all the sayings that He had as He hung there on the cross. And then He cried, it's finished. And He gave up the ghost. And they took Him down from that cross and they laid Him in a tomb. It was a borrowed tomb. Borrowed mainly because He wasn't going to use it for the rest of the days here on this earth. It was temporary. I hope you have your Bible this morning. And if you do, turn to John, the 20th chapter. Because one of the things that I would have loved to have witnessed was the day that they showed up at that tomb. In in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, it says, And the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre. And see if the stone taken away from the sepulchre, she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid Him. 
And Peter therefore uh, went forth, and that other disciple that came to the sepulchre, and so they ran there. They ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he stooping down and looking in, and saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lying. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the other linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. And as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. What they, what they discovered on that Sunday morning was an empty tomb. And it was a tomb where the Son of God had been placed after His death on the cross, a painful crucifixion. And He's laid there in that tomb. Why? Well, the simple answer was, the tomb was empty because Jesus had risen. And could you imagine the response or being able to make that declaration for the very first time? And in Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 4 and 5, we can find where two men, obviously angels, stood by them in shining garments and said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but He is risen. Could you imagine being the first one to be able to tell someone that Jesus had risen from the dead. What a spectacular event in the history of mankind. It was a day that was pointed to all the way back from the beginning that Jesus would die on the cross, that He would be buried, and that He would rise forth out of that grave so that you and I could have the forgiveness of sin, so that you and I could be victorious over death, so that you and I could have eternal life, so that you and I as Christians can continually have the blood that will cleanse us from our sin if we walk in the light as He is in the light. That's just a few of the things that we have to celebrate because Jesus rose from the dead. We come here this morning and we can see that empty tomb also. And we can only imagine the joy that those individuals that showed up on that occasion, what they must have felt when they seen that Jesus had risen from the dead. Not many hours before they had mourned that, that horrible death of Jesus. They had mourned, but then on that occasion, that mourning turned to joy when they seen that Jesus was alive. Matthew tells us that two Marys had came early that morning to the tomb to prepare the body of Jesus, and they saw that they saw the resurrected Jesus. Mark tells us that Salome and the two Marys who came early to that on that morning two, that they came, and Luke also tells us of the, the visits of the women that came to that tomb, and then John tells us of Mary's visits and the, the visit of Peter and the other apostle, which many believe was John, when they came to the tomb and they witnessed an empty tomb. In all four accounts, the writer records the first things that the visitors saw when they came to that tomb. And that was that the fact that that huge stone that was in front of that tomb had been rolled away. Now on the surface, that may not seem like much. 
That may just seem like a small detail as you read that, that the, two, that the stone was rolled away. And of course, that huge stone was rolled away, but really, I think there's more to it. Let's ask the question, what if? What if that stone still covered that entrance when they showed up that day? What if that stone had not been rolled away? How would those people have felt? Those that visited there on that occasion, how would they have felt? Well, they might have felt like Job after his family had been killed and all the things that he owned had been destroyed. Job reacted this way in Job chapter 14 when he says, beginning in verse 7, For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the sin of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the water fails from the sea, and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so man liveth, lieth down and riseth not. Until the heavens be no more, they shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. Job's basically asking, is that all there is to it? And I would imagine that that would have been the same response that the disciples had after Jesus had died on the cross and was laying in that tomb for a full day. That there was no hope. That Jesus was dead. He was gone. And He's just like all the rest of us. That's the end of it. And that's what Job is looking at. And that's what Job is thinking. And he points out that even a tree, you can cut down a tree and sometimes it'll still sprout. But man, when he dies, he's gone. Is that all there is to it? Is that all we have to look forward to? To lie down and to rise no more? If it is, we could say say the same thing that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians the fifteenth chapter. When he said that if Christ be not raised, our faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are to be pitied more than all men. Paul is telling us if there's no resurrection, if Jesus had not come forth out of the grave, if there's no resurrection, then guess what? We're miserable people. Why? Because we're worshiping a lie. We're worshiping someone who claimed to be the Son of God, but yet He isn't if He did not come forth out of the grave. But the fact of the matter is, He did come forth out of that grave. He is who He claimed to be. He lived up to the promises that He would make, that He made of being laid in that tomb and coming forth three days later. If that stone had not been rolled away, then those visitors to that tomb that morning would have been very miserable people. But the stone was rolled away. And when they went to that tomb, I think that they expected to find Jesus in that tomb because they thought it was over. You see, many of those people were looking for an earthly kingdom. 
And today, many people today look for an earthly kingdom. But we know that Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is the church, a spiritual kingdom. And so when they went to that tomb, they expected to find Jesus there. But then that door was open. That stone had been rolled away. And they were shocked. And so here's the question. Why was the stone rolled away? You might be thinking, well, preacher, that's a pretty dumb question. You see, that stone was rolled away because Jesus had to come out of that tomb. That stone was rolled away because Jesus was risen. But I don't think that that's the reason that that stone was rolled away. After all, look what happened later that Sunday evening, that first day of the week. In John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when He had said, or so said, He showed them His hands and His side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Here on this occasion, the disciples are gathered together. That Sunday evening in a room, the doors are shut. And since they were afraid, it wouldn't surprise me if they had locks on those doors, that those doors were locked. But the doors were shut. That's an important point because it tells us that Jesus just appeared or showed up in the midst of them. And so that tells me that Jesus didn't need a door to come in. You know, it's kind of amazing. Uh, one of the programs that I've watched uh, about the crucifixion of Jesus, they showed His resurrection and they even showed, uh, showed uh, this scene. But they had the door open. The Scripture says the door was shut. And Jesus appeared. Jesus came into that room where the door was shut and He walked right on in. If He could do that, couldn't He have come out of that tomb without the stone being rolled away? I mean, after all, He'd healed the lame. He'd healed all those that were sick. Lepers. Healed blind people. People that were deaf. He calmed the storm. He walked on water. He raised the dead. Do you think that the Son of God needed that stone rolled away so He could walk out of that tomb? I can guarantee you He did not need that stone rolled away to walk out of that tomb. Whatever the nature of His resurrected body was, He needed no door. He could walk through any wall, any stone that was in His way. No stone could hold him. That stone was not rolled away for him. That stone was rolled away for us. I believe that that stone was rolled away that morning so that the visitors, so that the Marys, so that Peter and John, if it was John, 
and the others that showed up on that occasion could go in. That open tomb was not the means of His exit. It was the means of their entrance. They could go into that tomb and they could see that He wasn't there. That He had risen indeed as He had said He would. You see, God rolled away that stone not so Jesus could rise and exit the tomb, but so that we could know that He had risen. And so that open tomb makes it possible for us to go in and see the discarded grave clothes, to see that napkin that was on His face, and to see that Jesus Himself was not in that tomb. You see, these things are recorded so that we don't have to go back in a time machine. We can read of the, the, the account from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that guided these writers to write these things. We can see the exact things that happened on that day and it's as if we were there. That we can witness what Jesus did on the cross and that we can witness what took place when He came out of that tomb. That that tomb was empty because He's alive. He's risen. That open tomb let the women go in and they saw that Jesus was not there. And Peter and the other disciple, they saw that Peter had or that Jesus had risen. And that open tomb makes it possible for every one of us to see that he is not there. And that's why the stone was rolled away. God had that stone rolled away so those women that came early, they could witness that Jesus was not there. And that Peter and that other disciple, they could witness that Jesus was not there. And that empty tomb is the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's cynics that are out there. There's critics that are out there that try to explain things away. I've heard people say, well, he probably really wasn't dead. He was in a coma. And they said the same thing, or they say the same thing about Lazarus, but Jesus said Lazarus was dead. And his sister said, hey, it's been like four days. He stinks. Jesus was dead. When the soldiers came to break the legs of those that were hanging on the cross to hasten death, they came to Jesus and they realized that he was dead already, and they stuck that spear in his side. And blood and water flowed down. Jesus died on that cross. He was dead. And they laid Him in that tomb. And you can't explain that away because He's alive today. And we can look inside of that dark, scary tomb and we can see, and we can look and see if Jesus is there. And the words of that angel still rings clear today. He is not here. He's risen. He's alive. That empty tomb is impressive and unforgettable evidence that Jesus is alive. Because of His resurrection, you and I can have life. We can have a new life and a future in heaven in the presence of the Almighty God because of what Jesus did on those occasions. Listen to what a change that Job made in his life when he realized 
His thinking was kind of off. Here's what he said just a little while after he faced all the calamities of life in his life. In Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26, what's he say? For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job realized that his Redeemer lived. You see, we sing songs about that because we know that Jesus has risen, that He's no longer in that grave. That He came forth out of that grave. And He can make a difference in your life and in my life and in the life of everyone else that will heed what He tells us that we must do in order to be a follower of His. You see, the resurrection caused those who visited that tomb that morning to run and tell the rest of the rest of Jesus' disciples about what had happened. How should the resurrection affect you and I? How should the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior affect each one of us that's a child of God? A while back I saw a comic about the peanut you know, the peanuts comic strip with Snoopy and Woodstock. And in that comic strip, Woodstock was sitting on top of Snoopy's doghouse with Snoopy. And Snoopy says, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be out somewhere sitting on a branch chirping. That's your job. People expect to hear birds chirping when they wake up in the morning. And with that, Woodstock flies off and climbs up on a little bush and he belts out a single chirp. And he flies back to the doghouse and Snoopy says, you only chirped once. You can't brighten someone's day with one chirp. And so Woodstock flies back to the shrub and lets out six more chirps. Chirp, 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 chirp. And then he flies back to the doghouse. And Snoopy says, there now, didn't that give you a real feeling of satisfaction? But there's something else that you need to know. You're supposed to do that every single day for the rest of your life. Every day. Every day. We should be able to stand up and chirp to the world or sing to the world about what Jesus has done for each and every one of us that's a child of His. You want to know why people are lost? Because sometimes we're not chirping. We're not doing what we should. And if you went back and you could eyewitness what we read about in the New Testament about Jesus' crucifixion, would that give you a new perspective on what He did? Would that drive you a little harder to chirp about what God's done for us?
every day we should stand up and share that good news with somebody. Why? As we just sang a few moments ago, because He lives, we can face tomorrow. We look at all the problems in this world and there's plenty of them. And it seems like every day they grow and there's more and more. But because He lives, I don't have to be afraid of those things. Because He lives, I know who's still in charge. Because when He said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth, He didn't say it's only for the day. He didn't say it's only for the week. That was forever. As long as this earth stands, we're still, we, are, we, we know who's in charge of this world. And so we can face tomorrow. And because He lives, all fear is gone. I don't have to be afraid. Even if they came and they started persecuting us, even if they took us and threw us in prison, even if they took our lives, we still don't have to be afraid. There's nothing to fear because He lives. And because He lives, we have that hope of a home in heaven. If we're faithful to our Lord, we'll be granted that home in heaven. And because I know who holds the future. And that future is heaven or hell. And He tells me how to escape hell, and He tells me how to get to heaven to make that my home. The question is, do we want to heed what He tells us? And as the song says, and life is worth the living just because He lives. We can go on every day in this life. We can sing the praises of God every day. We can tell somebody about the good news of what Jesus did on the cross. And I want you to think about that death, burial, and resurrection. Because Jesus, or Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians the 15th chapter that the death, burial, and the resurrection is the Gospel. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the Gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for your, our sins, according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day, according to the Scripture. That's what Paul tells us. That that's a simple gospel message, that Jesus died, was buried, and He arose victorious. He died for our sins. And it's in that same chapter that he says, if Christ didn't come forth out of the grave, if He is not alive, then we are of all people most miserable. And he believed it. He knew that His Redeemer, He knew whom He had believed in, He knew that He was alive. Because of that Gospel message, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And you say, why is baptism so important? Why can't I just accept Him into my heart? Why can't I just do what I want to do and say that Jesus is we're in that right relationship? We're good. Because Jesus said, if you love Me, you keep My commandments. And Jesus says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? 
And Jesus also tells us in Matthew the, the seventh chapter, beginning in verse twenty one, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. I have to do God's will. You see, sometimes the church, the Lord's church, is accused of saying, Well, everybody else is lost. We're the only ones going to heaven. No, we've never said that. We have said that you have to do what the Bible says. And if you're not doing our Father's will, then guess what? You're going to be lost. And that goes for even those that are in the church. If we're not doing what the Lord says, we're going to be lost. And it begins when we obey the Gospel. Because He's risen. He's told us what we need to do in order to be saved. And so we see in Romans chapter 6, verses 3-6, through 6, what He tells us that we must do in order to be saved. And look at the picture. You can look at the picture on the screen. You can listen to the Scripture and see what that baptism represents. It represents that death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 3 of Romans chapter 6, it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into His death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we also we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection." knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Oh, I've heard people will say, you don't need to be baptized. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin. All of those things are necessary. And on the day of judgment, we're going to stand before God. We're going to stand before Jesus Christ Himself and answer for our life. And Jesus said in, in, in John chapter 12 and verse 48, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last days. So I'm going to be judged on what Jesus said, not what some pastor said, not what Leonard White said, not what you want to believe, not what you want to feel, not what you want to experience, but what the Bible says, what Jesus says that we must do in order to be saved. And I think that we can see in Romans chapter 6 that that baptism represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Because we go down a sinner, we, we, we repent of our sins, we stop doing it, but what do we do with those sins? We go down in that grave, that watery grave. We come in contact with the blood of Christ and those sins are washed away and we rise up a new creature. A new creature in Christ. And that's where it begins. And if you haven't done that, then you're in a lost condition. And you have to do it the right way for the right reason. Because we can see examples in the Bible where people were baptized, but they needed to do it the right way. And so they had to do it again. And so this morning, I would ask you to look at what Jesus has done and what He's made available to you so that you can have that home in heaven. So that you can have the forgiveness of sin. He gave us a book for a reason. He gave us His Word so that you and I could know what we need to do in order to be prepared for that eternal destiny 
that all of us are going to face. We know the Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. We know that there's a judgment coming. The question is, are you ready for it? Jesus has done all that He can do so that you can have salvation. And He's left the rest up to you. He lives. And because He lives, we can have the forgiveness of sin. We can have salvation. We can have that home in heaven for eternity. And we can call God our Father because He lives. This morning, if you need to respond, we're here to help you in any way that we can. If you need to be baptized into Christ, we're more than happy to do that. We have water ready, clothes ready, everything that you would need. It's all prepared and ready. All we need is you. So this morning, if you need to be baptized into Christ, great opportunity today. And if you haven't lived as you should and you need our prayers, we're here to help you in any way that we can. And you have that opportunity, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You can talk to me even after service or some of the other men, whatever. We're all here because we want people to get to heaven. And so this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can do so while together we stand and sing.